Episode 18, Saturday Rotor Talk Live, Sally French the Drone Girl. Got that coming right up. This past Saturday, June 15th, I had the pleasure of having Sally French, the Drone Girl, on Saturday Rotor Talk Live. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and roll that entire clip. Good afternoon. Welcome to Saturday Afternoon Rotor Talk Live, Season 2, Episode 2. And we have a very special guest on. She's been on the show before, but it was quite a ways back. It seems like a long time ago in a galaxy far away. We're welcoming the drone girl, very special guest, Sally French. Sally, welcome today. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure to be back. You know, it's always great because there, there are two places I look at every day when I get on Twitter for my drone news. I look at Drone DJ and I look at you. Dude, well, thanks gonna, so much. I mean, that's where I go to. That, those are my first things I look. I mean, when I get up in the morning, those are the first two places that I look because, you know, you you have you have such a great, you know, your communication skills and what you put out on your blog and through Twitter and Instagram are just absolutely fantastic. You use social media like it should be used for good information. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Now I feel like the pressure is on knowing that Bill reads me every single day on Twitter. <laughs> so, so no, if you say something bad about me, I'll, it'll, it'll come back real fast. <laughs> Great to know. Um, excuse my being red in the face. I broke a cardinal rule down here in Florida in the summertime. We went out and my wife and I had to do some yard work, but we did it before after 10 a.m. this morning. And that's just, that's just bad news. You don't, <laughs> you don't do that kind of stuff here in Florida after 10 in the morning. So it sounds like you need to move to San Francisco because it is 55 degrees outside and a little bit drizzly. So no, I wouldn't mind that. I'll tell you that right now because it's <laughs> like 95 and the humidity is through the roof. So, well, you know, a lot's transpired since we've, since we've talked last a lot technology wise, a lot with, a lot with drones. And I kind of wanted to start off with, um, well, first, let me welcome a few people. Uh, Jackie Graffy's here, Nathan Moore, Rob Matters, Rodney Bell, Scott is Drone View. Welcome all this afternoon. Thank you for showing up. The first thing I wanted to talk about with you, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the new FAA rules for recreational pilots. Um, you know, and I wanted to wanted to kind of get your take on that and 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 you know, and especially, you know, the first question that I wanted to ask you was, you know, should everyone get a part 107? And if so, why should they get a part 107? Uh, yes. I mean, my cheeky answer is yes, everyone should get a part 107. I think it's just one of those things. Knowledge is power. And even, um, you know, a lot of my friends ask like, oh, I fly drones for fun. Should I get one? And I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to pay the money to get it. But I think it's totally worth it. If you can afford the money that it costs to take the test and probably the study materials that you'll have to pay for, just putting you up on that level of, I truly know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm flying. There is some sort of joy in having that FAA license. And I, I carry it in my wallet and I like to show it to people. Um, and, you know, I got my license and I don't have a background in, in manned aviation, but I learned so much through the process of getting the license. And I know, you know, people complain that the test tests you on things that aren't relevant to flying drones. 
but ultimately just having that knowledge of the airspace is really empowering. I just feel like I know what I'm talking about and I would encourage everybody uh, everybody do the same. It feels great. That said, um, I don't think everyone has to pass a part 107 test. I mean, ultimately, if you're flying a drone in your backyard for fun, it's probably a little aggressive to know how to read a sectional chart. But if you have the time and you have the financial means and you have an interest in drones, you have one, which means you probably do have the time and financial means, it is absolutely worth it. Well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of piggyback on and I echo everything that you said, you know, a lot of times I have it with me and the big reason that I care, well, yeah, I'm kind of like you. It's kind of like, you know, I bragged to all my friends, you know, hey, you know, I'm a licensed pilot and it's totally. just like, you know, kind of a thing, which is kind of cool. But the other thing is, you know, when you're out flying and say law enforcement stops you, you know, when you bring that up, that gives you some credibility. It does. Absolutely. You know, when, 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 because, you know, there's so much going on with where to fly and, and all that. That's just, that's just another one of those things. Now, you know, in line with, in line with this, you know, as far as, um, you know, with, with the recreational pilots, you know, we had talked about, you know, one of the questions that, that I, that I, that I had sent you was, you know, the rules have changed now. They can't call the tower. You know, um, ADSB is going to be coming, but until all the, uh, and LAA, until everything is, you know, until all the towers are LAANC enabled, you know, it, it's going to be either you have to go to a, uh, an approved field that's um, going to be AMA sanctioned, fill out a waiver or wait for the airport to have the LAANC. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, right now, in the meantime, it is a little unfortunate. And you hear someone who lives in San Mateo, which is two miles. Um, it's a suburb two miles away from San Francisco International Airport. And that means that, you know, someone can't fly a drone in their backyard right now. Um, and that is a little unfortunate. I see that. But I do think it is sort of for the greater good. I mean, ultimately, right now, the process is that you have to contact air traffic control. And I talk to so many people who say, I have no idea where, where I do that. Do I call them? Do I submit something online? And it's so confusing that right now they've shut it down completely, which is unfortunate, but I think it's for the greater good of having a streamlined process. And if everyone can just go through the link system is ultimately going to be better. Um, because even I've heard of people who say, oh yeah, like I can call up SFO and it's no problem. And then I try to call contact LAX and I can't even find the phone number. Um, and so that is really, really goofy how, um, how it seems like inconsistent the process is. So I'm hoping in the interim, it's a little rough, but it will be uh, better and make it a more streamlined process in the end. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think, you know, once LAANC gets to all the airports, I think it's going to make a, a, a big difference. One of the things um, I'm, I'm, I'm on a on a show on Saturday mornings on Canadian Drone Hub, and a lot of my friends are Canadian who fly and their rules have changed. And as of June 1st, you had to pass a basic test you know, not a part 107 type test, but a basic test. And then, then they had another separate commercial type test. You know, what are your thoughts on, you know, right now, you know, this is the direction that, you know, recreational pilots are going to have to pass a basic test. And then, you know, of course, you know, commercial will have to do the part 107. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you bring up the Canadian system. That one is really interesting to me um, because it, it's kind of defined by the type of aircraft and not so much the use case. 
And I think the Canadian system is really brilliant because in a lot of ways, you could have someone who is so experienced and so trained and they're flying a DJI Spark for a commercial purpose and they have a license. And meanwhile, you could be someone who just got their drone today and it's an Inspire and an Inspire crashing is so much more dangerous than a Spark. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I don't think, you know, the rules need to be tied to commercial versus hobby, but it really, it is the type of aircraft similar with cars. Like you're probably not going to do a ton of damage with a golf cart, but you can do a ton of damage with an SUV. And so the requirements should be different. Um, so I am, I am, I'm very intrigued by the Canadian system and I am glad that the FAA wants to have some sort of process in place to certify hobby pilots because you are handling a piece of equipment that's super dangerous when in the wrong hands and i think it's important that people learn i like what dji did um in in the past few years they've rolled out um that when you first get your drone you have to pass a very basic test on their app in order to unlock the app um and i don't think that's unreasonable it's it's acknowledging that you are flying a robot that um is really really powerful um and and so i think the faa doing something like that it doesn't need to be as detailed as sectional charts um but it, it needs to help people acknowledge that they're flying a serious piece of machinery. Well, you know, that, that's a great point that you brought up because I really thought that that, that, that test the DJI had on there was spot on. And I think totally. that's something that the FAA should just kind of model after something like that. Right. Now, what's interesting is, and I wanted to get your take on this. I didn't, I didn't send this to you. This is kind of a little bit of an ambush, but it, it okay. still fits in with the line here. Okay. Um, I have a very couple of very good friends of mine who are um, commercial helicopter pilots, and they, you know, obviously, you know, they have their FAA licenses. And one of them, well, in fact, both of them have told me, and one's actually a, a regular private pilot as well, and both of them have told me that said, Bill, you know, most of the questions that you get on your Part 107 exam, you will find in a private pilot's test. He said, bar none. And he thinks this is just his opinion and that, well, their opinion, I should say, they say that it's ridiculous. The amount of questions that they ask you. I mean, it's a good idea to know sectional charts and where you're at, but to the degree that they ask you questions, um, you know, it gets, some of them can get confusing. I know when I took my test the first time, there were some trick questions on there that yeah. really, you know, made you stop and think. And it's just like, you know, and, and some were just so off the wall that okay. they're ridiculous. I, yeah, you know, it's such a good point. And I'm definitely very mixed on it in a lot of ways. I think you should know more than you need to know, because if you can know more on a test than when you're out in the field in a scary situation, you're overprepared. I always think being overprepared is better than being under, but you're right. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think you can be a great drone pilot and really safe and really conscientious and not know how to read a sectional chart is, is my opinion. I would love to hear what the people watching online think. Um, but I agree. It seems like the test has a lot of questions that aren't necessary. But that said, you know, I would be really intrigued and um, I don't know if if I want to say this uh, out loud and commit to it, but I would be intrigued to have some sort of, you know, physical test where you have to prove that you know how to fly it. Um, because ultimately, knowing how to fly your drone 
if you could have one piece of knowledge, knowing how to fly your drone versus knowing how to read a sectional chart, um, knowing how to fly the drone is more important. Um, but obviously, I mean, that's such a huge expense to test. Um, it, I think it would be super complicated that I'm not even sure if that's the right track, but I do think there could be a lot of improvements to the testing process. Yeah. I, I kind of, I have a tendency to agree with you and, you know, it's to be able to kind of pinpoint something like that down as far as a physical test is concerned. But yeah, I, you know, there's so many people out there who when you know they get a DJI Spark or a Mavic Air say for the first time they've never you know they've never put the thumbsticks down and have taken off before and it's you know this is a totally new experience to them so you know that that's why I'm an advocate of you know finding a buddy or finding someone you know that has been through the ropes before who have done this and who can get you out there and get you comfortable and, and, and familiar with things as far as totally. That. I mean, I love the buddy process. That's how I learned is I flew with other people. And I mean, I'm so ashamed to admit this, but I didn't even know I called, I called propellers wings. And I remember my like, my flying group making fun of me. I was like, I need to put the wings on. And they're like, oh God, what is she saying? <laughs> but that's, I mean, having a community of people who can help you, we all started from the bottom um, and you have to learn somewhere and having a group to teach you. I love, you know, mentorship and all, all that is is really the most effective way to, to learn. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. Um, got some more people that have joined. Uh, Rich Beer joined, Paul Murray joined. Thank you guys so much for showing up this afternoon. Um, you know, I know without a doubt, I asked you this question and I know what the answer is already. I know your favorite drone is the Mavic Air. So what do you think, you know, DJI's had it on sale and I know you probably saw the Target had it on sale and I had a, a, a viewer send to me um, some of the Targets on the West Coast were clearing out Mavic Airs at $399. What do you think of all of this as far as a Mavic Air is concerned? It's wild. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like DJI, at least a few years ago, was undercutting pricing and probably taking a loss um, just to sort of wipe out the competition. But what's wild to me now is like there is no competition. It seemed like three years ago, the big question was, should I get the Phantom versus the 3DR Solo? And now that's really not an option. And so it's like DJI is creating all these sales and it's like against what? There aren't really any other drones out there on the market except their own drones, which inevitably means there are more drones to come. But it, it's so funny that it seems like almost DJI's drones are cannibalizing each other at this point since well, you know, DJI has already cannibalized you know, 3D Robotics and all the other companies. Well, you know, that's a great point that you brought up because, you know, um, one of the things that I've done and, and, and it's a, it's a love hate relationship. I get a lot of, I get a lot of comment. I'll, I'll just use the word comments on some of my speculative videos. I, I do quite a bit of those. And what I do those, I, I do those based upon, you know, knowing DJI, knowing some patterns, knowing the industry, having majored in business having a minor in data analysis, you know, just some trends and some thoughts and just being able to put some things together. And recently, you know, what I just came out with, you know, was, you know, my my working theory is that they're coming out. Well, I, and I agree with Hey Kestelou from Joan DJ that they're coming out with a Spark 2, that it's going to be have some slight upgrades, including especially, you know, 4K, three-axis gimbal, you know, a couple more minutes of runtime, maybe new quieter props and ESCs. 
But what they're doing now with the Mavic Air is because the name, because because they, I think DJI probably expected the Mavic Air to have better sales than it did. And, you know, the only reason in, you know, and, and I went to what, what your, um, you did a fantastic study on the most popular drones with Kitty Hawk and, and their registrations and things. Well, I kind of put made that a little more personal because I run a lot of Facebook groups and, you know, my most popular group, I have 2,700 people in it and it's the Mavic 2 group. My second most popular group is the Spark group. It's right behind. It's about 2,600. And my third most popular with about 1,400 is my Mavic Air group. That's interesting. And, and I really think that DJI probably expected a lot more out of the Mavic Air than they than they did. Uh, I, I think I think it's a drone. I think it's an underachiever, okay, yeah. as far as the drone is concerned. Um, I think with some tweaks, I think it, it can be, it can go from a good drone to a Mavic 2 type drone, you know, new ESCs, new quieter props, more runtime. And then maybe, you know, if, if the heavens open up and, you know, there's, there's a light from above, maybe something like OcuSync 2.0, you know, uh, j just some, you know, kind of, kind of taking that next step as far as technology is concerned. Yeah, I mean, that is the problem with with the Air is it is sort of like an in-between drone. If you're looking for more of a budget option, you're going for the Spark. If you're looking for something more professional, you're going for the Mavic 2 or something like that. Um, and so I think that is a challenge for people. If they're already investing enough money in the Mavic Air, why not just get uh, the 2, which is is my opinion of why it probably hasn't done quite as well. Yeah, you know, and, and from having flown all these drones, you know, I now have a Phantom 4 Pro V2.0. And, you know, and one of the things that I'm waiting for is DJI support uh, has told me that they will eventually, because it has OcuSync 2.0, it will work with the DJI smart controller. And Sally, I wanted to, wanted to tell you this because I know you don't have a Mavic 2. I think the greatest thing since sliced bread is the DJI smart controller. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, you know, and one of the things that I talked about on Canadian Drone Hub is one of the things that I like, especially is the tactile feel of the of the of the joysticks on it. It's mm -hmm. different than any other DJI controller. It is just unbelievably responsive. I mean, you know, just mm -hmm. a slight tweak. It's going where it needs to go. It's doing what your command is on it. And then just yeah. the, the features on there are just incredible. I just love yeah. it. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, you know, one of the other things that I wanted to kind of talk to you about was, you know, it, it kind of keeping in the same line, you know, DJ came out and announced this RoboMaster S1 this week, which I thought was absolutely fantastic in terms of, you know, education in, in getting this out there, especially for teens and preteens, as far as that's concerned. What are your thoughts about that? And, and about the direction that this is going to take, you know, just not only DJI, but the drone industry? Yeah, I mean, I, to me, the that is indicative of the fact that the Tello is so popular. And I do a lot of work with students and teachers. And that is the drone that everybody wants is the Tello. And so, um, I mean, ultimately, the challenge is you have a flying object is inherently a little more dangerous than an object on the ground. And so I think this achieves a lot of what the Tello achieved but uh, is is maybe a little more usable. I think some schools are still hesitant to have drones flying in the air and see it as a little bit more of a liability. 
Um, you know, I, I think the Tello is totally safe, but a principal of a school doesn't know that and they don't want a drone flying into someone's eye, understandably. Um, and so I think, you know, as DJI pivots into uh, rovers as well, um, they can sort of reach the same audience, but really ensure it's safe. And maybe, maybe the rover then leads to a flying robot also. Um, but there is just such a niche for, um, you know, learning how to code. I live in San Francisco and that's the hottest job. That's a job that pays six figures. And um, all of these products, whether they're made by DJI, I know Parrot has drones that help you learn how to code. Um, I love, there's a little Lego drone that teaches you how to code. Um, you know, there's such an interest in, in making education more fun, more realistic. And if you can say, look, I'm coding this drone, whether it's a flying drone or a roving drone, um, that's just such an engaging lesson plan. And, and I wish I had that in my classroom when I was in sixth grade. Oh, I know. You know, the, the possibilities are kind of kind of endless with this. And some of the talk that I've got now, I put out a video like who is the who is the RoboMaster S1 right for, you know, and I'm talking about teens, preteens and, and the whole educational gear towards things. Well, Sally, people just, you know, people get off on tangents with their comments. Um, you know, one of them says, oh, the Chinese government is going to be spying on us again. And my reaction to that was, oh, they can see all the dust bunnies under under my under my credenza. OK, right. With the, I mean, it, it gets it gets kind of to the point where it gets ridiculous. And, you know, one of the things that I think is going to be fantastic for this is, you know, it's it's kind of gearing teens and, you know, preteens towards, you know, thinking about, and they did this with the Tello as well too, being able to program. Now, you know, I got into, I got into it in 1975, 1976, when it was just, it was just in, in its infancy, um, you know, uh, programming in basic on a, on an HP computer that looked more like a typewriter than anything else. And I had the time of my life and it was just, you know, so intriguing. That's how I got into it. You know, and, and this is the thing too, this, this will spark imagination in children and being able to get them interested in it because, you know, where are our next generation of, you know, engineers going to come from? It's going to come from, you know, these kids that are in school today and it's going to be things like the RoboMaster that's going to prompt them. Right, exactly. I mean, even I remember one of the most fun classes I ever took in school was programming a light bulb and the light bulb turned on. <laughs> and in hindsight, I'm like, that's all we did. Like we just turned on a light bulb. But that was fun when I was in, you know, sixth grade. Um, but now the fact that kids can have these real robots that actually do real things and move around is is so exciting. And I wish that I could just rewind back to sixth grade so I could fly a Tello. I mean, I was just speaking at a drone conference in Canada and these kids were so fascinated by drones. They drove, I believe it was 12 hours from their school to this drone conference because they were all on board with drones um, and they were really interested in the Tello drone and they were, you know, middle school age kids. And it's just something that is is so much more useful than just sitting in a class reading a book. Um, and you know, now we're all you know have to do a million things at once and need to be connected. And so, if you can be connected via a drone and, and that interests you, then then more power to you. Well, you know, one of the things you know, and, and I know um, one of the one of the incredible people that I've met over the past year. Um, I don't know if you know, and he lives in the area. It's Romeo Dersher, yeah. um, Director of Public Safety Integration for DJI. I, I can't say enough about him. I haven't met him personally, but I've talked to him several times. And, you know, the more that I talk to him, you know, 
and the one thing that I've told Romeo, you know, you know what I, I just, sometimes you think of a hashtag with a person and I told Romeo, I said, you know, the hashtag I think for you is hashtag drones for good because yeah. every single time he tweets something, it's something about drones for good. And that's what we, we spent most of the time I had him on the show talking about that. And, and, you know, and I can't get enough of that. And, you know, and, and I try to retweet that on a daily basis. You know, one of the things that I try to do is I try to look for something good and I try to retweet that. What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it is so funny how you mentioned you bring up something like the RoboMaster and immediately a lot of people want to jump to China spying on us or so-and-so is looking into my window or something like that. And it's easy for people who don't know about something to automatically be negative about it rather than learn about it. Um, and we see this in, in every aspect of life. Something new happens. They're building a new, you know, building in your neighborhood and automatically, uh, you know, people are afraid of change and, and that's a natural human instinct and drones bring so much change. And so, you know, people get nervous when uh, they hear about this new piece of tech, a drone, and they automatically assume the worst. And it's so important that we educate people of all the good things drones can do, whether it's inspiring a little fifth grade girl to want to study computer science because she got the RoboMaster or, you know, it's helping, um, you know, a big Fortune 500 company make more money, which is good for their shareholders. Whatever it is, uh, drones can do so much good. One of the more fascinating people that I had on my show, and, you know, I know you um, you had retweeted and talked about this, too, was Gail Ornstein. Um, you know, just I was never more just, you know, at a loss for words after she after interviewing her and, and having some time to talk to her, Sally. She just is is just so incredible with what she does, where she goes and how she does it. And, you know, the thing that gets me is this. I can walk five feet out my door. I have a lake that I fly over all the time in my backyard. Um, you know, and it's and it's as easy as, you know, grabbing my Mavic 2 is sitting back there on the table behind me, grabbing that, my smart controller on my side. I can I can get up in the air. But you know, she de went into detail what it takes um, you know, for her to get up in the air, how sometimes she carries up to 45 batteries with her. And because, you know, she may not be able to get to a place where she can recharge them. So Right. She carries them with her, and, you know, and talking about, for instance, how the Anafi is one drone that she's really liked because of the 180 mm -hmm. camera and she's flying under structures. And a lot of times she flies in Addy mode with the Phantom 4 Pro because you know she doesn't want, um, you know, she doesn't want to have to rely on satellites. Right. Uh, she is just so incredible with the work that she does. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it, it's wild. I mean, I, I love the journalism aspect. That's what my background is. And so the work that she's doing is is just like really inspiring for me. I'm like, I want I want to do that. And it's it's so great that your show is profiling all these amazing, amazing people in this community. Yeah, I, I love I love being able to and see. I think that's one of the things that I like to do. And I look as my mission with, with people that I like to get on the show. I, I like to really kind of emphasize the whole drones for good type of thing. I'm real, I'm real, you know, on that, that that's something that, that I think is just absolutely positively so important. So okay. with that being said, I got a question for you. Now, you know, if you had a choice of anybody to, to that you'd want to talk with today uh, in the drone industry, who would it be and why? 
Yes. So uh, this is something that I think a lot about is we read all the articles about drone delivery and various companies are testing out drone delivery, whether it's Amazon or Google or a smaller startup. And you always hear these stories of we delivered burritos to someone's house. But the thing that gives me pause is uh, these companies never like to advertise who those people are. And I am so curious what that experience is like, because ultimately that could be all of us. And I really want to know what it's like to get a burrito driver delivered by drone. And one of my uh, little hunches is that uh, a lot of these drone deliveries are a little bit more uh, predetermined than what the media might make us believe. Um, still to date, you cannot go to your Amazon account and get something delivered by drone to your house. There are a few del drone deliveries happening, but only to people in very, very specific neighborhoods who um, probably have been briefed on some level. Um, and I, I would love to learn what that briefing level really is. Um, do these people have landing pads in their backyards? Have their backyards been you know, pre-scoped out? Uh, I really want to know more about what that experience is like. You know, I have some good friends in Australia, and this is the wonderful thing over the past, you know, year and a half, two years, you know, since since we talked, uh, you know, I've gotten to know quite a few people. And, you know, um, I, I have quite a few subscribers in Australia and uh, and they provide regular feedback and information. Now, you know, they've actually been have been trying this out there in in Australia and from what they tell me, a lot of the process is automated mm -hmm. and they have to have spotters along the way mm -hmm. uh, to make sure the drone is supposed to be going where it's going. Uh, and, you know, and it come, ev evidently the product, whatever they're delivering, whether it's a latte or a prescription or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, comes down on this, you know, hook and, and, and lowers, you know, they hover over the yard. And then, then it goes to back to take off again. This is what, right. from what I know. But you know, it was good to find out some of this information, though, as far as, as far as, as far as that's concerned. You know, and it's still, you know, in its infancy because, you know, I know Jeff Bezos was talking like, you know, we're going to be seeing this. You know, it's going to be rampant by this time. Well, you know, I talked with Rick Smith from Drone Valley, and you know, he's, you know, we're not there yet. It's like, you know, the technology has not evolved to that point. And that's one of the other, that's one of the big questions that I wanted to ask you today. You know, have we come to a point with drone technology that, that we've kind of plateaued? Um, you know, what, what else can, you know, DJI give us as far as like an Inspire 3 or, you know, a Mavic 3 or something like that? What are your thoughts about that? You know, I have to say DJI impresses me so much and I, I don't want to seem too much like a DJI fangirl, but they really do such a good job innovating and they're not waiting for the next company to catch up. Uh, they, they are the ones leading the way before other companies even can catch up. And I said this out loud when I reviewed the Mavic Pro. I said, oh my gosh, this is so small. This can fit in my purse. I don't see how drones could get any smaller. And that was a word that came out of my mouth in the review. And then the Mavic Air came out and it, it is a very similar design to the Mavic Pro and it is smaller. Um, and so, you know, that impresses me. Uh, the obstacle avoidance is just wild when that came out, um, the first Phantom and, and it was just on the front. And now we have these cheaper drones that have obstacle avoidance on all, you know, all sides. Um, 
And so every time that I think that they've thought of everything, I truly am impressed of what what more there is. I wish I was that creative to come up with with more features I want to see in a drone. And I don't think it's wild to think, you know, maybe one day a drone might have a parachute that can deploy out of it. Um, like anything can happen. I think I always am like, ah, this would be cool. And then it comes out. Well, you know, one of the things that um, that I, I talked with Rick Smith, you know, to, with some detail regarding this, you know, one of the things people need to understand is, you know, as far as like the size of these drones and them getting smaller, yeah. you know, I think one of the constraints here is lithium ion battery technology because mm -hmm. there's an engineering background. Because, you know, if you understand it, you know, it's it's metal plates on top metal plates and there's chemicals and that's what ends up producing electricity. Right. And it takes so much physical space to do this. And I think, you know, I think that's where I think one of the real challenges today, as far as drone manufacturers are concerned, is not so much with, you know, getting the drone smaller, which they're doing and they're working on. And, you know, it, it's amazing what's in that Mavic 2 Pro. But being able to also get that battery technology to the point that say, you know, the battery that fits a Mavic 2 Pro right now to get that instead of being able to run 30 minutes to be able to get it to run 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that technology doesn't exist yet. And that's what what Rick was saying. I, he, he thinks that's where kind of where where the direction is headed, because, you know, we, we've kind of he thinks that kind of maybe plateaued just a little bit. But but like you, you know come say next month or August or whatever, you know, there's a new event and then DJI puts something out there and like, it's boom. It's, it's yeah. like, you know, once again, you know, they, they break, they, they break the, the, the barrier again, as far as that's totally. concerned. Yeah. I mean, even to your point, it is totally true. We were sort of comparing it to the iPhone and that you just see these little incremental changes. Um, and that's something that a lot of people ask me about drones. Um, they want to know how much better can they get? Um, I, I get the question a lot about battery life is people will say, oh, I'm looking at this drone and it has 26 minutes of battery life. Um, is that good? Can I do better? And the answer, you know, as you mentioned, is not really like you might find a drone that has 27 minutes of battery life versus 26, but it's really going to be a challenge if, you know, someone's expecting that next year's drone is going to have an hour of battery life. Uh, that's probably a no. It's, it's more making small changes to make the drone more aerodynamic and maybe add, add one more minute is, is sort of like the best that we can expect there. Yeah. That's one of the things, you know, for, for, for me, you know, I, I think we kind of need to temper things down because I get so many people like you. Mm -hmm. I, my, my inbox gets filled up uh, on my on my Gmail account daily with questions all the time. And, you know, and it's my pleasure to answer them. I just ask people sometimes be patient because I have a normal nine to five job yeah. Yeah. And I have to answer them, too. But, you know, you know, being able to answer, you know, the battery question and people were like, you know, because um hey, Kestelu comes out on John DJ and says, you know, it's going to be at least a two-minute battery increase on the Spark. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you need to understand something here. You know, that's an engineering marvel, especially right. being able to get it into that kind of, kind, of a, kind, of a, kind of a frame here. One of the other things that I, I wanted, to, wanted to ask you before, before we close here today is, you know, I really like seeing getting, um, getting, you know, seeing more women involved as far as drones are concerned. You know, I know one of my friends, he's getting his wife involved. My wife, I, I'm, I'm pushing her and slowly but surely, I think I'm getting her there. Um, you know, um, I know there's a um, 
someone in Australia um, who I don't think she's on the chat today, but she uses a spark to help train horses, Sally. Uh, it's just amazing what she does with, with, with the drone. And that's the whole purpose for that is, is using them you know, to, to help that, which I thought is fantastic. It's really cool. Yeah. What can we do as content creators to be able to help get more women, more young girls involved with drones? Because, you know, it really has a tendency, you know, when I go to meets or anything like that, it's a real kind of a male dominated thing. What can we do to get more involved, more women involved? Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a good question. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I do think, I mean, not, not to stereotype too much, but the idea of just tinkering with a toy is something that I think appeals to men and, and largely doesn't appeal to women. Um, and and it, I wish it appealed to me and, um, and it's great if it does appeal to you. But I think what really appeals to women is um, is real practical use cases. Women are, are really practical and thinking, how can this help make the world a better place? We talked about drones for good and women want to know, what can I do for good? And so I love what you brought up about the woman who's using drones to train horses because it's practical. Um, it makes the world a better place. And so I think, you know, your work in highlighting these really, really cool use cases. Um, I have uh, a female friend in Australia as well who is using drones uh, to study the Great Barrier Reef and fly over uh, the reef to get data. And she's a scientist. Her background is not in, um, you know, RC. Her background is in uh, is in marine biology and the environment. And so seeing how a drone can can improve your job um, is, I think, really appealing to women. Uh, so I think just highlighting what drones can do rather than um, just playing with the drone, um, but how a drone can make the world a better place is super important. Um, and then the second thing is just that people want to see people like them. Um, if you see someone who looks like you doing something that it, it sh triggers the light bulb, that you too can do that. And it is really challenging when you go to a conference and... 99% of the people don't look like you. Um, and so I think, you know, just continuing to to prop up women. And we talked about mentorship at the beginning, um, have mentors who look like you, um, and, and just encouraging more diversity in the industry, whether it's women, um, whether it's age or race or, or whatever. Um, more diversity is so important in, in making people feel like they are welcome. You know, one of the things that I've told Billy Kyle before is, you know, I'm jealous of him. And and he said, why? I said, I'm jealous of your age I'm just, because, you know, I'm I'm what I'm about five years from being able to retire right now, which I'm looking very much looking forward to. But the thing is, you know, all this technology and all this stuff, all, all of this is exploding right now. And just the, the possibilities are limitless, you know, you know, looking at, you know, possibly drones being some type of of transportation system for people and goods and, and things like that. You know, it's like the sky's the limit with this. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I guess I'm a little, I'm a little, I, I wish, I wish I was, I wish I was 25 again, instead of, instead of being going to turn 61 this year. But, you know, in a way, you know, it's, it's kind of nice, you know, I'm, I'm kind of late into the hobby. You know, I was into RC, um, you know, planes and, and, and gas power planes and so forth. And that's kind of what sparked my interest with all of this. But, you know, as far as you, you made some good points, because I know with my wife, she likes to see some practical uses for things. And, you know, one of the things, our properties behind us, we have, have a whole, uh, there's about nine houses that border the lake. Well, mm -hmm. our properties only go back about 50 feet. 
And then there's another about 80 feet that goes to the lake. Well, that's up for sale. Well, it was, I did a practical use. I flew down and I flew over to the next development and back. And she was able, we were able to see everything because they had talked about erosion and being able to approach somebody to do a survey about this, you know, and being able to understand, you know, what, the, what this land is like and how much, you know, we're going to act, you know, how much we're going to offer for, it. you know, there's a practical use for that. So, you know, with something like that, that really helps and makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I know you're so busy and I want to, want to personally thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. You know, it, it, it is fantastic. It's great catching up with you again. Um, you know, what do you have interesting that's coming up that you can share with us? Yes, I have lots of travel coming up. Uh, actually on Friday, I'm going to Las Vegas for a day. We're doing a drone photo workshop. Um, and it, it's actually an hour or two north of Las Vegas. So if anyone wants to make a last minute trip to, to Las Vegas, um, it's in Caliente, Nevada. Uh, so hit me up and join that. Uh, so that's what I'm prepping for all week. Um, I'm going to Singapore for the first time to speak at a drone conference there. Um, I'm trying to expand my reach into Asia and I think that'll be so much fun. Uh, so I have lots of travel up ahead. Other than that, it's just trying to keep up with the news. As you mentioned, uh, the FAA seems like they change their rules every week and I can't keep up. So that's what's next for me is making sure I'm keep kept up. Well, Sally, again, hang on, hang on a second while I close things out. I, I can't thank you enough. And I can't thank everyone enough for joining us in the chat this afternoon at, at this, at this time, you know, it, it's just, it, it's just so good to catch up with you. So good to hear here. You're so busy. I mean, I, I get, I get tired hearing, hearing your schedule, you know? Um, but, but no, we're, we're real happy. We're real excited. Um, to get an update from you on how things are going and, you know, get your thoughts on a lot of things that are happening in the industry, which I think is great. And, you know, you really, you know, to me, you're one of the best spokespersons, you know, male or female on the planet for drones for good and, and, and for the good that you do and, and everything, you know, and I want to, want to, you know, I, I, I want to say, you know, if you haven't, you know, gotten onto her blog or on Twitter or on Instagram, you need to follow Sally because, you know, Sally is a great source of information regarding drones. If, you know, if you're looking for that on a daily basis, like I do, you know, go for that. That's one of the things that, that, that I strongly encourage you. So, you know, again, everybody, thanks so much for showing up today. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, you know, we have, Tuesday Night Rotor Talk Live is coming up, and we're going to be at a new time now. We're going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern. It seemed last week when I had the, um, you know, YouTube and Google had their accident and I couldn't get on till closer to 9, that viewership kind of spiked for me. So I want to I want to be able to, um, you know, get more of you people to be able to watch, um, more subscribers to be able to watch me at that time. So I think we're going to try 9 o'clock for a while and see how that goes. And again, thanks so much for watching and it's a great day to fly. Take care, everyone.